Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. This last um, couple weeks, actually last, probably, what are we on now? Does anybody know? Is it week six? I think week six. Um, we've been uh, talking about this one passage uh, out of Proverbs chapter four, verse 23. And it says, does anybody know it? We've said it several times. Does anybody know it? You get brownie points if you can recite it for me right now. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Praise God. All right. Well, you all failed this morning. So no, I'm just kidding. It says this. It says in Proverbs 4, 23, it says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs. Can anybody finish it? The issues of life, Joe. Awesome. Hey, uh, there's some extra dessert back there after service. It's all yours. Now, <laughs> keep your heart with all diligence for out of it flows the issues of life. So we've been talking about how important it is to keep the inner man healthy, to keep the heart healthy. Um, and so a lot of times we focus on the outward things, right? So our, our appearance on the outside, the, our jobs, our, our social life, all of those things. And all of those things are important. They're valuable. Uh, but a lot of times we're, we spend so much time focusing on the outward that we neglect the inner man. We neglect the secret place. We neglect the things that are going on in our hearts. And uh, when we do that, it, our hearts become, um, come, become corrupted. And we begin viewing the things around us through the lens of the corruption in our hearts. So we talked about envy the first couple of weeks. And how envy doesn't allow us to celebrate the success of our brothers. So envy, we define it as this. That envy is the pain we feel over another person's success. And we forget that, 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 that the goodness of God is limitless. And sometimes we think that because of the success of our brother, that means that there's less uh, goodness for us. And so we become envious, we become jealous, and, 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 and we see our brother through that lens of envy, not realizing that there is a limitless amount of the goodness of God. And that, that be, and, and, and all actuality, that when our brother is blessed, it doesn't mean that there's less for us. It just means that if, if God is going to be good to our brother, then that means he's going to be good to us as well. And so we got to fix that envy in our hearts. And envy is tricky because it hides. It's sneaky, right? A lot of times we don't even realize it's there. It just hides in the dark corners of our hearts. And so we have to diligently, as the scripture says, seek our hearts. David says in the Psalms, he says, God, he says, search my heart. And if there's anything wicked in me, cast it away from me. So we have to be like David. God, search our hearts. Because sometimes we don't realize those little seeds are there. So God, search our hearts. We have to be diligent to search our hearts. So that way the Lord can help us remove any wickedness that is there. The, the next couple of weeks we had talked about forgiveness and unforgiveness. And how unforgiveness um, can distort the way we view things. And how in, in unforgiveness, when we become wounded, that in unforgiveness we tend to build our lives around that wound. 
We, in unforgiveness, allow that, that scene, that pain to begin playing over and over and over again in our heads. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're keeping that wound fresh. And we learn that through forgiveness, it, it's the opportunity, it's the ointment to put on that wound. Forgiveness is that ointment that we can put on that wound to begin seeing it to be healed. And now, now we learn too that, um, that forgiveness obviously uh, sometimes operates like a bell tower. Do you remember that analogy? That, that the guy pulls the, the rope of the bell and the bell swings back and forth and rings. And as soon as the guy lets go of the rope, he stops pulling the rope to ring the bell. The bell doesn't immediately stop, but the bell begins to slow. And the noise begins to lessen. The reverberation begins to become less. And eventually, as they have let go of the rope, that bell begins to slow until it eventually comes to a stop. And that forgiveness works much the same way. That in, in forgiveness, we're not saying that the pain is immediately going to be gone, that the wound is immediately going to be healed, that your emotions are immediately going to be fine. What we're saying is as you, as you choose forgiveness, as you are obedient in the place of forgiveness and you let go of that rope, then eventually that bell begins to stop moving, begins to slow its pace. And eventually the, that pain, that wound begins to heal and you can eventually walk in fullness of forgiveness. We also learned in forgiveness that Jesus operated in forgiveness not because, not because he was trying to make himself feel better, but he operated in forgiveness because he loved the person he was forgiving. So sometimes we want to forgive, and it's been preached several times that we forgive because in that forgiving, we find our healing. But we can get to a place in forgiveness where it doesn't become about us at all. That it actually becomes about the love of Jesus being lavished on the other person. And so, yes, we find healing and forgiveness, but above that, the next level in forgiveness is actually forgiving because we love them. And that's much harder than it is to forgive to find your own personal healing. It's much harder because oftentimes when we forgive them and choose to forgive them, it's not because they're remorseful. And it's not because they're seeking for forgiveness or they feel bad about what they've done. Sometimes you have to forgive while they are still sinning against you. And that's what Jesus did for us, that while we were yet sinners, he went to the cross. So we forgive out of love. That was a longer review than I intended this morning. So, uh, but those are a few of the things we had talked about. Last week, we began talking about pride. We began talking about pride. As I mentioned last week, C.S. Lewis uh, writes a whole chapter in his book, Mere Christianity, on pride, and he titles it The Great Sin. He actually calls pride in that chapter the essential vice, the essential vice. He goes on and he says, not only is it the essential vice, but pride is actually the vice that leads to all other vices, that it's actually the root of other sins. And when, you, when you, we begin to understand 
as that, that pride is selfishness, that pride is elevating self above the goodness of God, when we begin understanding that, that that's what pride is, pride is actually putting ourselves in the throne, right? It's putting ourselves in the center place, the centerpiece of our lives. When we begin understanding pride in that way, we can really begin to see what C.S. Lewis means that pride is the essential vice, the one that, that, is, uh, that causes, that leads to all of the other vices. When we envy, we envy because we believe we deserve what others have above what they do. Envy in its root stage, its root setting is prideful. Even unforgiveness Walking in unforgiveness is at its heart selfish, right? We begin building our walls around that wound and we begin protecting. We become inward focused, inward focused on all of the pain that was caused us. And, and even, even, in, um, even in unforgiveness, even in the reality of, uh, of the pain, and I'm not trying to diminish the pain that was caused. The pain is real. But even in unforgiveness, we can find those hints of pride, of selfishness, of placing that self-focus at the center of our lives. Sexual sin, in its core, is selfish. Lying is selfish. Cheating is selfish. Adultery is selfish. We can see what C.S. Lewis is saying here, that pride is the essential vice, meaning that it is the root cause of all other sins. That in all other sins, that we can go back and find that the root of those sins is selfishness. But here's the tricky thing about pride. Pride feels good to the flesh. Pride often feels right to our flesh, to our desires. But in the end, what we don't know is that pride actually destroys us. Pride destroys us. Proverbs tells us some more about pride. In 16, chapter 16, verse 18, it says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The second that we begin to idolize ourselves, we have started the timer of our downfall. The second we begin idolizing ourselves, the second we begin putting ourselves in the center of our universe, the Bible actually tells us that destruction is right before us. I like the way the Passion Translation puts this scripture. It says, your boast becomes a prophecy of a future failure. That pride is actually prophesying that there is a fall in your future. It goes on, it says, the higher you lift yourself up in pride, the harder you'll fall in disgrace. And we don't have to look very far to see that this scripture is true. We see it in the lives of celebrities. We see it in the lives of sports figures politicians, and sadly, even religious leaders. That when they become proud, when they become, uh, when, when everything begins to revolve around them, it's just a matter of time before we read a headline in the newspaper of some kind of fall, some kind of destructive behavior. 
I was listening to a podcast earlier this week by a man named Casey Doss, and he tells a story of a, a time he got to meet um, Jim Baker. How many of you remember Jim Baker? Yeah, so Jim Baker. So if you were alive back in the, it was probably the 80s, wasn't it? Around in the 80s where Jim Baker uh, became, uh, he became a household name. Um, he really pioneered the uh, Christian television ministry. Um, and so he, he was on top of the world. Um, Jim Baker was, him and his wife, uh, Tina Fey. And so they, uh, they, they had this incredible empire. And so, um, and, and if you don't know the story, uh, what did I say? I said Tina Fey, didn't I? That's right. Close enough. I mean, yeah. So this, not Tina, but uh, Tammy, <laughs> they built this empire together. And uh, if, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get at this back now. Uh, it's, it's easy to find their story. If you don't know, you can go on Wikipedia. They built this major empire uh, in the, in, at the height of this, of their ministry, of their popularity, um, Jim gets into some trouble. He has an adulterous, uh, a, a relationship, has an affair. Uh, he gets, gets in trouble for, uh, money issues, gets, uh, all of, all of these things. And, uh, and he, and, and you saw this, this empire, this, this huge empire just fall almost, um, just through all of this, all of this thing, all of these things. So Casey tells a story where he had the opportunity uh, to speak with Jim Baker for about two to three hours alone, just with, with this, with this, uh, with this previous Christian leader. And he says in the story, he says, you know, I, I have this incredible opportunity to talk to this guy. So I want to get as much as I, I can from, from Jim and just learn as much as I can. So he said, he said, he starts the conversation. He says, Jim, he says, I'm a, I'm a young leader. I'm a, I'm a preacher. I'm, I'm in the ministry. I'm starting this church. He said, I, I just want to ask you. He said, I just want to, I just want to know how do I, um, how do I not turn into you? <laughs> he said, no, no, let me, let me rephrase that. How do I, um, how do I not become you? <laughs> you know, and, and he said that Jim was just, just super gracious and he just kind of laughed and, and, uh, and, and he begins, begins telling Casey, he starts at the beginning and begins telling him this whole journey and just all of these details on how just one thing led to another and all of these things. And so he, he got to hear this whole, this whole story from, from Jim. And, uh, during the story, he says the night everything turned was, was the night that he had the affair was the night all of the, all of the things around him begin to crumble. He said, that night I went into a hotel room and 10 minutes later, I walked out. He said, in 10 minutes, a billion dollar ministry crumbled. In 10 minutes. And then he looked at Casey and he says, never underestimate what can happen in just 10 minutes. Now, somewhere along the way, the ministry shifted its focus. You know, I believe with all my heart that that ministry started with the Great Commission in mind. They started with Jesus as the focus. 
But somewhere along the way, probably didn't even realize it was happening, but somewhere along the way, self became the focus. Pride became the focus. And they begin to elevate self. And in a matter of 10 minutes, pride destroyed their lives. That pride goes before destruction. That a lifted, the lifted spirit is prophesying a future downfall. And so we, we can see where all of this, these things are true here in scripture, that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. In second Chronicles chapter 26, we read of a brand new king named Uzziah. Uzziah becomes king at just 16 years old, right? He comes, becomes king at just 16 years old. And the scripture tells us that Uzziah was um, a man that sought after God, that he, uh, scripture tells us that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. So let's read here just a little bit about Uzziah's life in Second uh, uh, Chronicles chapter 26, starting in verse 5. It says that Uzziah sought God during the days of Zechariah, who taught him to fear God. And as long as the king sought guidance from the Lord, God gave him success. Uzziah declared war on the Philistines and broke down the walls of Gath, Jab Jabineh, and Ashdod. And he built new towns in the Ashdod area and in other parts of, the, of Philistia. Philistia. I'm fluent in these languages here, as you can tell. God helped him in his wars against the Philistines, his battles with the Arabs of Gur, and his wars with the Midianites. And the Midianites paid annual tribute to him, and his fame spread even to Egypt, for he had become very powerful. Uzziah built fortified towers in Jerusalem, at the corner gate, at the valley gate, and at the angle in the wall. He also constructed forts in the wilderness and dug many water cisterns, uh, because he kept great herds of livestock in the foothills of Judea. On the, oh, I'm sorry, and on the plains. And he was also a man who loved the soil. He had many workers who cared for his farms and his vineyards, both on the hillsides and in the fertile valleys. Uzziah had an army of well-trained warriors ready to march into battle. Unit by unit, this army had mustered and organized uh, by Jeel, the secretary of the army, and his assistant, Manes, Ma, 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 uh, assistant M, we'll call him, <laughs> one of the king's officials. The regiment of mighty warriors were commanded by 2,600 clan leaders. The army consisted of 307,500 men, all elite troops. They were prepared to assist the king against the enemy, any enemy. Uzziah provided the entire army with shields, spears, helmets, coats of maul, bows, and sling stones. And he built structures on the walls of Jerusalem designed by experts to protect those that arrows or protect those who shot arrows and hurled the large stones from the towers and the corners of the wall. His fame spread far and wide, for the Lord gave him marvelous help, and he became very powerful. I read all of that to you just so you could see 
the help that the Lord had given Uzziah. At just 16 years old, Uzziah becomes king, becomes ruler. And immediately he begins having success in every area of his life. He begins having success against all of his enemies. One of his enemies even begins to pay him tribute. I assume just so that Uzziah won't mess with him anymore. They're just paying him, paying them tribute. He had uh, built wealth, all of this livestock, all of these things. His, his bank was full of goats, right? He was wealthy. He had all of these things. He had uh, this, this entire army. It said that just 2,600 of them were elite warriors, that these guys were the Rambos, right, of the army. These guys were amazing. And then above that, he had over 3,000 other troops that were all at his disposal. And the Bible tells us that he became very powerful, that he was marvelously helped by the Lord, that as long as Uzziah sought after the Lord, the Lord gave him success in every area of his life. Now let's actually rewind to another king for a moment. This was Uzziah's great, 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 great grandfather. His name was David, King David. Now David as you know, was anointed to be king. But maybe you don't realize David was actually anointed to be king three different times in his life. The first time he was anointed was among his brothers, where Samuel comes and he pours the horn of oil on his head uh, in front of his brothers, in front of his father. Anoints him to be king. The second time he was anointed was when he was anointed to be king over all of Judah. And then the third time he was anointed to be king, he was anointed king over all of Israel. All of Israel. You know, the first time he was anointed to become king, through that anointing, he was able to kill the lion, the bear, and the Philistine. That just with a slingshot and a stone, this young shepherd boy, who had an anointing on his life to become king, goes out and faces the largest, most fierce warrior that the Philistines had. That every other person in the military of Israel was afraid and trembling every time this man named Goliath came out. That, that David, under the anointing of king, goes out with a slingshot and a stone and cuts off the head of this giant Philistine. Now fast forward, he becomes king over Judea or over Judah. Then he becomes king over Israel. The Bible tells us that when he becomes king over Israel, the first thing that happens is that the Philistines set up camp to come against David. Now you have to be thinking here, what were the Philistines thinking? That if David, as a 16-year-old shepherd boy, with nothing but a piece of leather and a stone, could, could defeat the Philistines, what could David do now that he has the entire Israelite army at his fingertips? So the Philistines come up against David. And I can't figure out why they think that this is a good idea. Right? Do they not remember what happened just a few years earlier when they came against David as a shepherd boy? But now he's king and ruler over this army. And let me tell you, the army doesn't have a stone and a sling. 
right? They're using all of the weaponry that they have to come against the Philistines, yet they come against them. And you got to ask the question, why did the Philistines think they stood a chance against King David? And here's the only thing I can figure. That the reason they believed that they could defeat David now that he is king is because they realized that sometimes when you become powerful, when you get elevated, when you get lifted up, that that is when you are most susceptible. Why? Pride. Because when you have an entire army with their sword laid before you, ready at your command, you can become arrogant and you become overconfident. And you think that you have the power to do things in your own strength and in your own might. And maybe the Philistines realized that we couldn't beat him. Listen, it's easy to trust God when you're a 16-year-old boy with nothing but a slingshot and a stone, right? But when you have all the firepower you need at your fingertips, you begin to become independent, thinking, man, I can do this on my own, right? I can do this on my own. Look back now at King Uzziah. The Bible tells us that he became very powerful. The very next verse in Chronicles, verse 16, says this. When Uzziah became strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. Another translation says, but when he, this is the new living, it says, when he had become powerful, he also became proud, which led to his downfall. Uzziah became king at 16 years old. Uzziah is a young king, but he hasn't been tested yet. He has no accomplishments yet. He's only 16 years old. You know, it's easy to be confident, or it's easy, I'm sorry, to be reliant on God when your greatest accomplishment thus far is getting through puberty, right? My voice is no longer squeaky. Praise God, I've accomplished something in my life. It's easy to trust God then, but to have some success, to win some wars, to gain wealth, to gain fear among your enemies, all of a sudden you start to become confident, almost to the point where you forget that your success was because you were marvelously helped. And it says that Uzziah his heart was lifted up. And then it says it was lifted up to his destruction because he forgot where his success came from. He forgot the Lord. He stopped seeking the Lord. He started out seeking God, but he ends his life lifted up and proud. And the Bible says to his destruction, to his downfall. There's more to the story there. Uh, Uzziah ends up with leprosy. Spends his rest of his days a leper, an outcast, and ends up dying. He was heart was lifted up. But you know what? It's, it's the same for us sometimes. When we are in need, when we are struggling maybe with some kind of sin, trying to overcome flesh, when we're believing God for provision 
because we need to pay our bills or we need to get a better job or whatever it is, it's easy to trust God in those moments. It's easy to be dependent on God in those moments because you don't have any other choice. The real test comes when his faithfulness causes you to have success. When you are no longer maybe struggling to pay your bills anymore because he's been faithful to provide for you and now you're in a comfortable place, right? Maybe you've been believing God for a new boat, right? And you get that new boat, right? And then you don't ever come to church again on Sunday because you're out enjoying the blessing of God. And it's easy to be dependent on God when you don't have anything. The real test comes when he's given you everything. When his faithfulness has come through, now we have a decision to make. Are we gonna remain dependent even though I have enough resources to make it on my own? I have enough resources to do this thing in my own power and in my own strength. Just as Uzziah did, he had enough power to do things in his own strength. But the Bible says that because he became powerful and because he became prideful, he fell. Let's jump back to David. Everybody tracking with me? We were with Uzziah, then David, then Uzziah again. Now we're back to David, all right? So David becomes mighty and powerful, right? He has been anointed three different times to be king. He's now king over all of Israel. He has the army at his fingertips, all the firepower he needs to defeat the Philistines. Not only does he have the firepower, he has the confidence because he's seen this enemy before and he knows that he can defeat them. The question then comes, what does David do in this moment? David has a choice to make in this moment. Let's read here in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and see what David decides to do. 2 Samuel chapter 2 Samuel chapter 5 starting in verse 17. Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord. What does it say? David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal Perezim, and David had defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, he called the name of the place Baal Perezim, which means the God of breakthrough. And they left their image there and David and his men carried them away. What did David do? He inquired of the Lord. This man who had all the firepower that he needed to defeat the Philistines, had all the authority he needed to go against the Philistines. It says that instead of 
instead of making that decision on his own, it says that he goes to the place of prayer. And he says, God, is, is this what you want me to do? I can do it. And I'm pretty confident that I will be successful. But is it your will? Is it what you want? You see, David kept the Lord at the center. He kept the Lord on the throne. That even though David had ascended to the highest place in Israel on the throne, he still left one throne greater just above his open. And even though he had all authority to make that decision, all the firepower he needed to go into battle against the Philistines, instead he said, God, what do you want me to do? I'm going to remain dependent upon your word. And God told him to go, right? And they, they conquered the Philistines. Well, the Philistines apparently haven't got the hint yet that they probably aren't going to be able to defeat this man named David. The very next verse after it says that they defeated the Philistines and drove them out, it says that once again the Philistines come back into the valley to face David. And they're back in the valley and their spears and their swords are pointed back at David once again. And you would think in this moment David would be like, you know what, whatever, go get them, guys. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that once again, David, who had all the confidence in the world, he's already defeated the giant. He's already defeated the Philistine army once, just, just a little bit previously. And now they're back again. But it says that David inquired of the Lord once again. And he says, God, I, I know we can do this. But is this what you want us to do? And then God gives him these instructions. He says to, to go, let me just read it so I don't mess it up. <laughs> it's, it's always a bad thing when I uh, misteach the Bible. So I'll just read it here. It says, then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephim. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord and he said, you shall not go up. Circle around behind them and come upon them in front, uh, in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly. For then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded him. And he drove them back, the Philistines from Geba, Geba as far as Gezer. David inquired of the Lord again. And because David remained humble, because David, even though he was exalted to the highest place in Israel, left the highest throne to the king of kings. Because he did that, David was successful in all that he did. David became the man after God's own heart. You remember that? And David remained humble and therefore he was successful all the days of his life. I love this about David, that he never reached a place of independence. As powerful as David became, became, he never reached a place where he says, I can do this on my own. Instead, he stayed in a place of dependence. He didn't have to 
because he had everything he needed to be independent. He chose dependence even when he became powerful. Pride is the enemy of everything God is trying to do in your life. Pride is the enemy of everything God is trying to do in your life. We have to, even when we become strong, even when everything is good, even when the faithfulness of God has come through, we have to choose dependence. We have to choose dependence. This is the last, last thing I'll say here this morning. You remember the story of the rich young ruler? Now in the New Testament, the rich young ruler comes before Jesus. And he starts off really good. He comes up and he falls to his knees before Jesus. And he asks Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus first tells him to obey the commandments and honor your father and mother, all of those sorts of things. And, and the rich young ruler says, he lies. He says, I've done all of those things since my youth. And then Jesus looks at him and he says this. He says, take up your cross and follow me. He says, sell everything that you have, give it to the poor. Then take up your cross and follow me. What's he asking the rich young ruler to do? He's saying, he's saying I'm, I'm glad you're coming before me humbly. I'm glad you're doing all of this. But listen, you are still the center focus of your life. All of these possessions, all of this wealth that you have, that, that it's still the focus of your life. Your heart is still selfish in all of its ways. And if you want to inherit eternal life, sell all of those things, take up that cross and come after me. The way to conquer pride is through the cross. The way to defeat pride is to every day wake up and look to the cross. See the place where the son of God who created the heavens and the earth, who sat on the throne of all of the cosmos, where he humbled himself and became like a man. The Bible says that we despised him and rejected him. He allowed himself to become so humble that the son of God was beaten and torn apart and hung and humiliated on a cross. And see that through that cross, he was then able to be glorified. That the cross kills the pride on the inside of us. The cross wipes away every excuse that we have to, to think of ourselves powerful and to think of ourselves as deserving because the one who actually was deserving chose humility. So we kill pride. We take ourselves off of that throne by every day waking up and seeing the cross. I love the song from Jason Upton. It says, the cross, the cross is always ready. 
Every day it waits for me. So we kill pride by looking to the cross and seeing the humility of Jesus and then following that humility. Choosing every day to be dependent, no matter how successful we come, no matter how comfortable we get, no matter how good his blessings are, we choose dependence every day. We choose the cross every day. Let's stand together. Father, we honor you today. God, we thank you for your example, Jesus. Father, that as we follow your example, we learn what it is to have life and life more abundantly. God, that the way to be lifted up is to actually go low. God, that this kingdom is actually upside down. Father John the Baptist even says that I, in order for him to increase, I must decrease. God, teach us how to walk in that place of humility. Teach us to walk in that place of humility, Jesus. Real quick, I know, I know I'm running short on time here, and I know you're all tired from the supper and everything, but one, one more just quick thought. I heard actually earlier on a podcast this week too. Paul, who becomes the greatest apostle that's ever walked the face of the planet. Peter may try to argue that, but Paul's got it, right? He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He had greatest revelation uh, than, than all of the other apostles combined. Early on in his apostlehood, you read in one of his early letters, he says, Paul says, he introduces himself as the least of all of the apostles. Then a few chapters later, a few books later, I should say, in Ephesians, Paul's got some maturity under his belt. He's got some experience. And he introduces himself not only as the least of the apostles, but now he says, I am the least of all the saints. And if that's not enough, Further on down the road, at the end of his life, in one of his last letters to the church, he says this. He says, I am the chief of all sinners. Do you see the progression? You see, we think that we get to glory by going like this. But through Paul's example, we realize that you become the greatest by going like this. By taking another step down. By coming more, becoming more humble. And in the kingdom, the lower you go in humility, the more you'll be glorified. Paul becomes the greatest apostle to ever walk the face of the planet. And at the end of his life, he calls himself the chief of all sinners. He stayed in that place of humility. So I just want to encourage you all in that this morning. Make sure that's, keep your heart. Why do we keep a heart? We keep it humble in all of our ways, choosing dependence, amen? Jesus, we honor you once again. We love you. We thank you for this revelation. Give us grace to walk with humility. God, if there is any pride on the inside of us, God, we pray that you would remove it from our hearts so that we can walk 
and humility all the days of our lives. God, we honor you today. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit harmonychurchfamily.org.